0: The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. I know many of you around the world are dealing with different weather issues today. We don't mean to make it sound like we're big babies here in Los Angeles. It's just that we don't normally have weather. We have other things. We have earthquakes and things like that and police chases, but we, we don't normally have weather this extreme. So it's a little, you know, weird for us. We're not prepared, shall we say that? Um, Raji says she cannot, they, they cannot hear. So I don't know what's going on with that. Can anybody else hear? Are you guys hearing me or we're, we're not hearing? Uh, Oh, Rosemary hears it now. Fabulous. Okay. I was just saying that we, I I, I apologize that in Los Angeles, we're kind of big babies. We're not used to having weather and we've had some weather the last couple of days, but we're weathering it. And uh, great. Thank you, Rosemary. And uh, hopefully, Rajesh, you can hear me as well now. Anyway, excited to be here this morning. We're going to be talking about something that is, I've been saying forever that we should be talking about this. And I really kind of want to make videos about this, but It's hard because I'm of two minds. I want to make videos where you guys can see um, people working with individuals on the spectrum to see how loving and kind and caring it can be. But at the same token, it kind of breaks the privacy for the individual. So it's hard. It's hard. (coughs) Excuse me. But I'm excited we're going to be talking about this today. And it made me realize over the weekend as I was preparing this presentation, I was like, oh, this is hard to talk about. Not because uh, it 's hard to recognize what a good aBA session looks like, but because it 's so individualistic so We're going to be talking about this. Um, I'm going to go through, uh, in a second here, I'm going to go through what I think are some hallmarks of a good ABA session. And they're pretty broad strokes, because I was trying to think, like, what what are the absolute things? And it wouldn't matter whether the person was three years old and nonverbal, or 15 years old and very verbal, or vice versa, a a verbal three-year-old and a 15-year-old who's nonverbal, right? Um, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through what the broad strokes are and then I'm going to go back through it and give examples first if it was somebody working with a small child and then somebody working with a teen or an adult and see if you guys can't get a picture of what it is that we're, um, trying to accomplish here. And what I want, what I want you guys to understand because I think, um, you know, it was so key the other day when I was at the conference that I was at and after my panel was over, and I stuck around to answer questions for a while. And two of the people who came up to me to ask a question were preschool teachers. And, they, and there were lots of questions that they had for me. And then one of the questions was, you know, we hear that you're so pro-ABA and intensive ABA. But as preschool teachers, we're constantly telling parents, you know, it's too much. Because they said either parents don't want them to come to preschool, and that's a bad thing, or parents want to do preschool and then do ABA and the rest of the hours, and they're like, that child would be exhausted. It's too much. Can you explain? And here's what I loved about these teachers. They were like, tell us what it is that we're missing. And I was like, oh, yay, because if you're open to hear. And I said to them, you know, what is it that you're afraid of? And they said, well, we think, you know, the child's going to be too tired. And I said, oh, okay, but when the if the child goes home from preschool and is, you know, going outside and playing and they do their swim lessons and all of that, do you ever tell a parent that they should stop doing that? Well, no. And I said, how come? And they said, because those things are good for the child. I said, oh, so the problem is, is that you think ABA is bad for them because you think it's tiring them out, but you don't think that swimming lessons is tiring them out? And they were like, well, but, you know, swimming lessons, they go and they do that for an hour, and then they go and do something else. And I said, yeah, what is it that they do? And, will they go and play. And I said, that's not tiring them out. And, and they were like, well, you know. it just..." And I said, here's the thing. I think if you don't know what an ABA session looks like, it sounds... Well, sounds like, and a lot of people will go online and they will look at somebody working with a child and what they see is like a DTT moment where they say, okay, you know, touch car, and the child touches car and they go, good job, right? They go, oh, well, four hours of that would be exhausting. And if somebody is doing that for four hours, I want to smack them into the middle of next week because that's not a good ABA session. And I was kind of going through for them, okay, this is what it looks like. Here's what you didn't see before the touch car. Here's what you didn't see after the touch car. And here's what the, the session. And I went, oh, we should probably do a presentation on this. But it's not one size fits all. So we're going to talk about that in just a second. Before we do, a couple of things of business that I want to take care of. We're live right now. I am saying hello to Rajesh, Rosemary, and Liliana. Uh, I'm so thrilled that you guys can hear me now. So, uh, and, and if anybody else is watching, the chat is open right now. Our fabulous Traven is going to show you some of the different ways that you can be watching our show, some of the different ways that you can participate, some of the ways that you can watch us on podcast. I loved when I was at the conference and I was telling people about what we do and, and um, oh my gosh, there was one gentleman that I'm, I'm excited, I'm going to uh, see if we can get him on the show, uh, Cole, I think it's Fitzpatrick is his name. And, um, and, and I was telling him about the show and saying, Hi, Eddie. Is it Eddie or Edie? Nice to see you as well. Um, are you the drummer? Are you the fabulous drummer uh, that we've had on the show before? Your last name looks familiar to me. Tell me if you're the fabulous drummer. Anyway, uh, so I was talking to Cole, and he said, Well, where would I, where would I tune in to your podcast? And I said, Just about anywhere. And he said, Well, that's kind of broad. Can you give me... <laughs> You know, and I said, well, for instance, you know, you can watch us on, uh, listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, you can uh, download on Apple, Apple Podcasts, and he was like, oh, and then he clicked something, he was like, oh, you're here in this app, and I went, yeah, and he goes, oh, you really are everywhere, um, and I was so thrilled that I could say that, because, you know, there was a time and a place when we couldn't say that, but we are pretty much, any place where you can get a, a download a podcast for free, you can find us there. We're not in the ones where they charge you to to download. Uh, I know some of you have asked us to be in those, and, I like, it's just, I don't know. It's hard for me to ask people um, to pay when you can get us someplace else for free. That doesn't make sense to me, but... Um, Yes, Rhythmic Arts Project. Yes, you are the fabulous drummer. Yes, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, we need to have you back on the show sometime uh, because I loved what you guys were doing. If you guys don't know, look up Rhythmic Arts Project. Whew, good stuff. Um, And yes, you are fabulous. Own that. Uh, So anyway, I just want to let you know you can download wherever you get podcasts for free. You can check out our YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, share, wherever you find us and wherever you like to download us because there are still (laughs) so many people who don't know what we're doing here. And what we're doing here is trying to spread information and inspiration. And to that end, um, oh, okay, great. And thank you for giving me your phone number. I'm going to reach out to you. So we have something coming up in April that I think is really exciting, you guys. We are going to do the first ever Autism Network Podcast-a-thon and it's it's keeping me up at night right now because it's such a behemoth of a project but we are going to on april 4th at 3 p.m pacific time and as it was pointed out to me over the weekend um we will be in daylight savings at that point we're going to be an hour earlier so for those of you who are watching around the world it's going to be an hour earlier for you by then because on march 12th we're turning the clocks back but, um, so, but at 3 p.m. Pacific time, we are going to go live and we are going to attempt to stay live for 44 hours nonstop, to do a live stream for 44 hours. And uh, we are, you know, we're not capable of doing that completely by ourselves. We have like six different shows that we do here now at the Autism Network. Autism Live is one of them. Ask Dr. Doreen is one of them, right? Stories from the Spectrum, another. We have other shows as well. But even then, we cannot stay live on our own for 44 hours by ourselves. So we have been inviting guest podcasters to come and take over our feed for an hour Oh, my gosh, you guys. It has been so amazing, the response for this, and I am so excited. We are starting to, I think probably later on today, the the some of the calendar will go live on the website, but if you are on autismnetwork.com, you can go to, there's a tab now for podcast and I've been populating the calendar, but we haven't made it live yet, but Wait till you guys see. I mean, obviously, Dr. Temple Grandin is going to be here. Uh, Some of the guest podcasters that we have, Dr. Uh, Mary Barbera is going to be with us from Turn Autism Around. We have a podcast from South Africa that is going to be with us. We have a radio show from India that is going to be with us. We have a couple of dad podcasts. We have the Just Two Dads are going to take over for an hour. The Autism Dadvocate is going to take over for an hour. I'm so excited that doesn't even begin to cover everybody that obviously spec labs is going to take over. So, um, it's going to be exciting and it's going to be varied. Uh, so really thrilling. And then we're going to do some autism live and I'm going to have some amazing guests, Temple Grandin, one of them. Um, but uh, we're going to do Ask Dr. Doreen. She's going to answer questions. Uh, we're also going to have, there's a two-hour time period on Wednesday when Dr. Doreen is only going to interview people who have been um, in the trenches with her for 20-plus years that she thinks are, are just amazing people that sh- helped shaped herself as a professional. And so I know, Rosemary, it does sound amazing, doesn't it? 44 hours. And obviously, none of you are going to be able to stay awake for 44 hours and watch the whole thing end to end. But all of it will be podcast individual hour by hour. And I figure this way, you know, so many of you have written to us from Australia and from India and uh, Dubai and said, you know, we catch your show and podcast, but we'd love to watch live and interact. Well, everybody's going to get that opportunity. Because somewhere in that 44 hours is going to be the right time for you. We're also going to have some fun things, maybe some giveaways. Uh, people have asked me if I'm going to shave my head again. I don't know. If it's uh, if it's worth it to you guys to watch me shave my head again, maybe we'll do that in the closing hour because I'm going to need to take a shower right afterwards because, you know, it makes you itchy when you shave your head. So, I, But, you know, I mean, does anybody care about that my hair is so short? Is it worth it to watch me shave my head again? If it is... I will do it. I will do it. I, I, somebody asked me once to get a tattoo live on the air. I don't do tattoos. That is not a thing that... I Because, like, I'm afraid of needles. I'm allergic to everything. And I don't like pain. So, <laughs> so the tattoo thing... No, I'm not... But I'll shave my head. Hair will grow back. Um, okay, uh, please p- replay this question. Can you tell us about the need for speech therapy along with ABA therapy? I'm going to answer that really quickly, and then we're going to launch into our topic here. Um, but... Yeah. Do I think that speech therapy in uh, conjunction with ABA is a good thing? Yes, but here are my asterisks. Um, it's only a good thing if it doesn't. If it's not an either or. If you're going to lose some ABA for speech therapy, then I would ask, what are we working on in the ABA and what are we working on in the speech therapy? Now, there are some some kiddos, some teens that I might say, yes. You know, if if the only thing that we're missing in the communication department is articulation and and being able to produce sound then i would then i would say yes let's let's focus on the speech therapy and if we have to lose an hour of aba yes but if it's anything more than that i would not because when you're working with an aba professional they can still work on articulation and in fact they work on it in a way that makes it really reinforcing for the individual not that the speech and language pathologist can't but unless you're with a really skilled SLP, they're not going to work on um, all the other elements of language, because language is not just about producing sound. Now, if you have somebody who has apraxia, I would, I would want to make sure that they are working with an SLP that is skilled in apraxia, because they aren't all, but I would prioritize that, finding that, and having that piece there. But... The truth is, if I could pick anything for you, it would be that you have the schedule to be able to do it all, that you would be able to do ABA intensively for that individual for the, to suit their needs, and that you would have a very skilled SLP, and that the two things would not conflict. Unfortunately, most of the time they do conflict, and I find that a lot of times it's because Um, staffing shortages, and schools say, here are the hours which we allot for the SLP to do. I don't subscribe to that. I really don't. Uh, I don't subscribe to any of it. I think that when there's a will, there's a way. And, um, you know, one of the things that we always asked for is that our services, there are rules about services at school have to be provided during school hours. But if you ask for the school's Rules, You will find sometimes that they word that in such a way that it's hours that the school is open not hours that the school is in session. So if the school opens at 7 a.m. And the school closes there and they lock the doors at 4 then you could be having speech any of that time. I hate it when a school, it's so hypocritical to me, when a school says, well, you know, we only allow for these services to happen when class is in session, so we're going to pull your child out of class to have their speech and language pathologist appointment. Um, but, you know, you, and then every other thing they say, "Don't you can't drop off a lunch during that time because it would, it would uh, interrupt instruction. It's so hypocritical. It's really just about them trying to run their ship in a tight way and have everybody fit in. And if your child has an IEP, then your child doesn't have to fit in. Um, And I got to the point with school where uh, my child, I prioritized ABA because for him it wasn't just about making the sounds. It was about him understanding what he was saying and what other people were saying to him. And ABA is better for that. Sorry, I love me some speech and language pathologists, but ABA is better at getting to that um, than SLPs are. On the whole, are there some remarkable SLPs out there? Yes. Are there some mediocre to ABA professionals? Sure. So, you know, uh, (laughs) look at what you have. But I uh, lobbied hard for my son to have his speech and language outside of the hours that they were telling me. You can petition for them to have to provide it from another provider, not from them if they can't staff it. For my nonverbal five-year-old, I have private speech therapy and ABA sync to align on goals, but two different sessions. That's fabulous. Do that. Uh, I think you're killing it, Rosemary. I wouldn't mess with that. And if they're both good and they're both working on the same thing, it's fabulous that they're in two different sessions. You know what I said to those preschool teachers? I said, you know, for every child that is on the planet, we should be trying to make every waking hour, and I didn't come up with this, this is Dr. Grampy Pichet's words, every waking hour should be educationally enriched. Every waking hour should be educationally enriched. And if the child is having fun, then, you know, fantastic. And, and that's really what we need to be focusing on. So if they're with some people who are working on things in an ABA way um, and it's fun and exciting, great. And if over and then they take a break and they go over here and they work with an SLP and it's fun and exciting, great. Don't feel bad about that. Um, Alyssa, you say that ABA is not covered in your state. What state are you living in? Are you in the United States? Because if you're in the United States, it is. Um, It just may not be covered to the extent that it is in other states, but write in and tell us which state you're in because everybody has a mandate now. All 50 states. No, Illinois has a mandate. They absolutely do. You know what I want you to do um, is um, write to me, Shannon at autism-live.com, and maybe Trayvon would put that up for us. Shannon at autism-live.com. You do have a mandate. Um, We just need to figure out how you can um, get involved in it. Uh, but I guarantee you, you absolutely have it in Illinois. And there are ABA providers in Illinois. Brian, good morning. haven't seen you for several weeks either. Our ABA just ended at five and a half years. Now, did it end because you you graduated and you're ready to go on to other things? Or did it end because the funding ended? I, I want to hear that um, with state insurance. Uh, Alyssa, will you please contact me, Shannon, at autism-live.com? because it should not be that your state insurance, there's a way around everything. But you do have a mandate in Illinois, and there is a way to access it. Um, Let's find it for you. And it might take some digging. I'd like to help you with that. Good morning, Susie V. So thrilled that you guys are here. Okay. So, I want to get to this, but anybody can email me, shannon at autism-live.com. I love getting your emails, and, and I try to be really good about answering them. If I don't answer within 48 hours, please email me again, because it means it got past me, and I'm not a perfect person. Anna, good morning. Okay, so uh, let's talk about this. What does a good ABA session look like? Now, I'm going to very quickly power through this If you're just tuning in, this is very hard. I'm going to start with a disclaimer here, right? The disclaimer is because a good ABA session should be based on the individual's needs and desires, there are no two sessions, it should say sessions, that will look alike. Um, And that's the truth. As I went to prepare this, I was like, oh, gosh, this is kind of hard to describe what it looks like because it's going to look very different based on the person themselves and their their desires and their wishes and the things that they need to work on, their strengths and their and their things that they need to shore up, right, and their age and their skill level. All those things are going to make it look very different. But I still want us to get a feel for what a good ABA session looks like. So I came up with like 10 things that I thought would be indicative no matter what your age was, no matter what you were working on, right? But then I want to go, I'm going to go through them really quickly, then I'm going to go back to the beginning, and I'm going to go through all of them, and I'm going to talk about if it was like a four-year-old, right? A four-year-old who's trying to access language. And then I'm going to go back and do the whole thing again, you know, and we're going to stay as long as it takes, but I'm going to try to power through it. Um, and I'm going to do it as if it was like a 16-year-old who's having social skills issues so that you can see because really this is a toolbox and it's how you apply the tools, right? But there are some things that are, you know, non-negotiables for me. This is a parent-to-parent talk. This is, uh, and I hope, I know that we have some uh, people, ABA professionals that are watching, and I hope that they will watch because this might be... um, a little bit different than what somebody, how somebody else might say it. Because if you talk to an ABA professional, they would say, oh, well, it has to have this it has, But I'm talking parent to parent. These are things that I look at and I go, that's a good ABA session as a parent with the things that I'm... And, and obviously, if you were talking to somebody who was on the spectrum, they might say different things as well. It's all about the perspective. And this is a parent to parent talk. Yeah? Okay. Let's power through these. Okay. Number one... And some of these are going to go, duh, but I feel the need to say them. It should always start with a pleasant greeting. Always, there should be a moment that signifies that this thing is beginning. And it should always be something that is respectful and exciting and pleasurable. If you think about the difference of when you walk into a store, have we not all been through this? You walk into a store and everybody ignores you, right? And what that is like. It's not torture, but it is such a different experience when you walk in and somebody goes, "Hey, um, you know, thank you for being here, and you know, ha- you know, enjoy, uh, and let me know if I can help you with anything." Right? We don't like people that are over the top and in our because we want to shop, right? But it's nice to be greeted. It's you know, when I was a teacher, it's a very big deal the greeting when somebody comes in the classroom because you want to set the stage of. I'm here, I'm here for you, this is about you. And I put this open hand because it's an offer. That's what a greeting should be, an offer. Come on, let's go play. Let's have some fun today. And if I'm making it educationally enriched and I'm doing that on a regular basis, then anybody I extend my hand to is gonna go, yeah, let's do this, right? So always has to start with a pleasant greeting. If you're walking into a session or somebody is walking into a session with your kiddo or your teen and they're like, mm, and not greeting your child, Whoo, that's a big warning sign, right? It's also uh, a moment where we're teaching that individual the importance of a greeting because that is a social contract that people on the spectrum, it's, it's a learned behavior for a lot of them. Right? And so we're modeling that and we're making that happen. And it has to be pleasant. We're setting the stage, right? Number two, there should be regular preference assessments. Preference assessment is when we figure out, what do you want? Now, we can do this with babies. We can do this with teenagers, we can do this with adults, we can do this with senior citizens, we can do this with people who are non-verbal, we can do this with people who are non-vocal, we can do this with people who have no um, expressive or receptive language whatsoever. Uh, We can do this with itty-bitty little babies, we can hold a preference assessment. And this is essential to a good session. It cannot just be at the start of the session. It cannot be once in the middle. There should be regular preference assessments because if you said to me right now, what do you feel like doing right now? It's going to be very different than if you said to me, what do you feel like doing right now? And it's two o'clock in the afternoon, right? So always lots and lots and lots of regular uh, preference assessments. And we're going to go over this when I give my two examples here in a second. Uh, There should be tons of positive reinforcement. I put cash there because for many people, cash is a positive reinforcer. Uh, And I put it there for a specific reason because so many people go, oh, this is that dog training thing. No. (laughs) No. If, If this is dog training, then we are all, as I said the other day, we're all German shepherds. Because positive reinforcement is when something positive happens because of something that you did. That is your paycheck, folks. Your paycheck is a positive reinforcer. If you think about it, look at that pile of cash there. It's just paper. And yet we get emotional about it. If somebody hands you 10,000 of those, you're going to jump up and down and go, woo, I'm on a game show, right? I just got 10,000 of those pieces of paper. But they are only pieces of paper because we know what they will do, they're a token economy. It is a positive reinforcer, but we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that everybody's reinforcer is is different, and what is positive reinforcement to you right now may not be at two o'clock in the afternoon later on, right? Um, and certainly, what is reinforcing to me may not be reinforcing to Trayvon, right? And it's not a reinforcer unless it encourages the be- behavior to happen again. Uh, you know, one of the things that people are saying all over the place is, you know, well, we've tried giving bonuses to our employees. And, and yet it's not helping with retention. And then, you know, a, an ABA person would say, well, then that wasn't really, uh, it wasn't enough or it wasn't the reinforcer that they wanted. Uh, so there you go. Has to be individualized. We're going to talk about that. Uh, there should be fun at regular intervals. It has, like, everything can't necessarily be fun, but if it's not fun on regular intervals, then who wants to do it? Nobody. And it's not good ABA. It's not an educationally enriched environment if it's not fun. On that circus tent, you want to be walking into that on a regular basis. And if you're not, you're not doing it right. Uh, Okay. Oh, here's one that like you're gonna go. Wait a second. She just said all these things about how it has to be fun. It has to be. Data has to be taken. It has to be. It is not a good ABA session unless we took data on it. It is that thing, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody is there, did it really, really fall? If the whole purpose of ABA is we're trying to set up contingencies where we're creating an environment where learning can happen, we have to regularly check, is it working? Because if it's not, it's not the, the learner's fault. It is the method. And the method can change. There are a gazillion and eight ways to teach anything. And if we're saying that, you know, this learner learns in a specific way because we know because we took data, then we're going to play to that strength. But we wouldn't know unless we took data. And I hate taking data. Data is not my thing. It's To me, it's not warm and fuzzy and all those things. Um, I love, even in my life, uh, Dr. Grandpuchet will get so fatutsed with me because Uh, she will ask me a question about something I'm like oh I don't feel and she's like what does the data say and I'm like I don't want to and it's important and it won't be funded by insurance if data is not taken but it's not you're you're not being efficient if data isn't being taken and I'll tell you something else is that the data is only as good as the person who's least good at taking data on the team don't let that be you Uh, and it was me I'm just going to be honest about that um there should be clear targets that benefit the individual. Whatever it is that you're working on, like don't let it be something that, well, we're not really sure what we're working on right now. Um, it should be clear. It should be clear to everybody who's teaching. It should be clear to the person who's being taught. Um, and it has to be of benefit to the individual. If you're working on nonsense... Like, okay, I love dance, and dance is really good for a lot of different things for a lot of different people. And we know, by the way, that crossing the midline is really good for cognition for all of us. That They do it with senior citizens. They do it with young kids. It's very good, you know, activities like playing tennis where you cross the midline, very good for our cognition. You know how we know that? Because the data has shown us that. Would we have known otherwise? I don't know. But... Um, but we wouldn't necessarily work on tennis with every single person, right? If somebody hates tennis, right, uh, we wouldn't do that. And, and if somebody is working on tennis and, and, you know, we can say, you know, this is good for you. We don't necessarily have to go because you're crossing the midline and because, but we can say that this is good for you. That's why we're doing it. If we're just out playing tennis and we don't know what the benefit of it, maybe the benefit is to, like, just have some fun, to have a break, but if we don't know what the, what we're targeting and we don't know why it benefits that individual, you know, sending somebody to just play tennis for eight hours a day is not going to be of use to them, unless we know exactly what it is we're trying to do. So clear targets that benefit the individual. That's key, right? How about this? There should be clear instruction. Uh, I, have you ever been to a parking lot where somebody is supposed to be telling you which way to go, but they're not? <laughs> Like they're like this, and I always have to pull up and roll down my window and go, what does this mean? And I get so instantly frustrated. If you want me to go there, then be clear, that's where you want me to go. We cannot be fuzzy with our um, t- when we're teaching anyone, but especially individuals who are on the spectrum where communication is probably already an issue, right? So being clear about what we want them to do has to be a part of what this is. Fuzzy, fuzzy instructions I am not a fan of, yeah? Because you know what it does? It breeds, first of all, frustration and then resentment. And we can talk about that in a second, okay. Uh, the individual's learning style should be considered. If I am only, oh, I love this. If I if I'm somebody who only gets up and lectures in front of a classroom, right? I am assuming that everyone can learn by listening. Well, that's really stupid, right? Um, so as a teacher, I got to mix things up and 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 do things, right? I got to give pictures. I got to give text. Uh, I got to make it interactive, right? Uh, And even as I say that, I go, I'm not making this interactive enough, this presentation. We're going to make it interactive in a second. Okay. And then the individual's sensory sensitivity should be considered. I can talk uh, an hour about this, Um, but we're going to talk about this in just a second. Okay, moving on. Behavior may be ignored, but never the individual. Oh, this is so important. So many of you write in and say my child was crying and nobody was comforting them. Um, And I think it's really important that there are a lot of people who don't understand um, attention-maintained behavior uh, on both sides of it. Uh, The example I always give is that my son would hit his head on the kitchen floor, and he would do it because I would put a demand on him. I didn't understand this at the time. I would put a demand on him he would throw himself on the floor and he would start hitting his head. And my reaction would be that I would pick him up, I would soothe him and I would pet his head, rock him, give him like a sippy cup with a nipple on it, right? And rock him and sing to him. And he wouldn't have to do the thing that I'd put the demand on, right? Um, So, and he would do it all the time. And I was afraid he was going to do brain damage, but, the thing is, is that I, I was helping to maintain that behavior. It wasn't happening solely because of me, but I was helping to maintain the behavior because I, he would deliberately do something to hurt himself so that I would soothe him, and then I would take the demand off, and he would get all this attention. So he, it was escape maintained and attention maintained. And sometimes our kids are brilliant, and they will they will throw a tantrum to get attention. And we don't want to give attention to a behavior that is bad for them that they did just for attention. But that doesn't mean that we ignore them, right? We just don't soothe that emotion. But if a child has fallen and hurt themselves, that is, and and it wasn't to get for attention, um, we're not going to ignore that child, right? So it's very dicey. It's very, very dicey. There are times when um, someone will ignore your child's crying, but they should never ignore the child. And they should only ignore crying when they have done something deliberately to make themselves cry so that they can be soothed. If you think about that and think, what you know, what kind of a situation will you be setting up if your child has to hurt themselves to get attention? Obviously, what we would do is try to give that child tons of attention for everything except them hurting themselves. So this is a very dicey subject. We're going to talk about it with with both scenarios, a younger kid and an older kid, but we never ignore an individual and we, but we will ignore behavior if it is attention maintained. But if you don't know the difference, ask an expert to explain it to you within the confines of the, the individual so that you don't get it wrong. Because I have seen people ignore children and it makes my blood boil, and, I have, and I've seen both parents and professionals ignore a child when a child should not be ignored, and I have seen the opposite, mostly parents who give it, um, attention to a behavior that they're helping to maintain, and I am guilty of that, right? And, but life is so much better when you don't do that, okay. Um, in other words, it should always be fair, right? Isn't that what doctor Grant Grampy-Shea says? It should always be fair always and if you if you're ever not sure and if you go oh this doesn't feel right and ask yourself is it fair am i asking the child to do something and i haven't given them enough reason why it's a benefit to them and reward for doing it and if i or, or is this painful for them or is this in any way upsetting for them and if i have how can i change the equation which is does not mean leave them alone, don't teach them. It's a question of, okay, how can I make it fair? Um, this child is is totally like triggered by uh, school bus noise, right? And there are people who would go, well, then let's never put the child on a school bus. But then I go, that's really life limiting. So the child can never go on a field trip with other kids and never have that experience. I mean, maybe you drive them yourselves, but you know, at some point, there's going to be something that this kid wants to do that's going to be on a school bus. But my my thing, and I was taught this by Dr. Grampiche is like, OK, so how could we make this fair? How could we mitigate the circumstances? Is this noise-canceling headphones? Do we put this uh, person through two years of systematic desensitization so that they can handle the sound without the earphones? Like, there's a whole bunch of things that we could do, but let's be fair about it. Let's not just throw them on the bus and go get over it, because that's a disaster. It has to be fair. Okay, so now I'm going to ask Traven to go all the way back to the first slide, and let's go through and talk about this as if there's a four-year-old. And let's, for the for the purposes of uh, this demonstration, let's say that this four-year-old Uh, was nonverbal and has language that's burgeoning but can't really communicate their needs because that is so many of our four-year-olds, right? We still have this disclaimer that it's going to look different than if we had a four-year-old who was completely nonverbal, right? Um, This is someone that has some... Uh, receptive, some expressive, but is quite far behind, right? And let's see what the session would look like and how these different things apply. So the therapist is going, whether the child is taken to the center or the therapist comes to the home, there is going to be this bubble of a moment that happens right at the start of the session. There is a greeting that happens. There's a pass-off that happens where the parent turns the the four-year-old over to the care of the behavior technician, right? That behavior technician needs to do a big greeting for this individual. A lot of times what you will see is the technician immediately gets on their level. This is why it's mostly young people that do this because my knees can't do this anymore. I need a crane to get me back up, right? But you will see the, you know, if you go into a good center, you will see, you know, the mom and the child are in the lobby waiting and here comes the behavior technician and the minute they see the child, they're like, dude, and then they will get down on the level and they'll go and they will compliment the child and go, what is this shirt that you have on right here, right? And so that there's communication happening already, but there's a smile on their face. The child should be happy to see this behavior technician, Right. Um, Now, some children, if the the greeting is too big, it's too much for them, so it's got to be metered to the right thing, but they get on their level. They make eye contact, but they're not forcing eye contact, but they're smiling, and they will interact and touch the child and be like, I'm so, some of them will be like, I'm so happy to see you. Do you know what we're going to do today? We're going to have like so much fun today. Are you ready to have fun, right? So that there is this moment where the child feels welcomed into this interaction. And as I said, every child is different, right? Every individual is different. But the person who's greeting them is going to take that into consideration, take their sensory needs into consideration. But there's going to be this bubble of a greeting that knows, okay, we're here. I've seen you. I like you. I always say this to behavior technicians. They go, what's the best thing that we can do for the parents and for the kiddos to help this be more compassionate? And you know what I always say? Let everybody know you like this kid. And if it's an acting job, it's an acting job. But, but please, some of our kids are like, they all deserve to be loved and liked, right? And a lot of people aren't. So be that person, right? And so this child feels like I am accepted here. I, I want, we're going to have fun. Somebody just told me we're going to have fun and we're going to go have fun. And there is... This beginning, middle, and end to the greeting, which is very educational, by the way. So often, I'll be someplace and, and you know, somebody has their child on the spectrum, and I'll be like, hi, you know, and the parent is having a prompt saying, say hello, right? Well, one of the ways that we work on this is by having this moment. There is this moment of interaction. Uh, Anna says, my son always hugs his ABA therapist when they come. Uh, both young ladies, and both hug him back and tickles, uh, which is his sensory preference. Exactly. And anytime you're starting a session and this greeting moment doesn't happen, it's a problem for me. Um, I know sometimes you will get to the center and, and, you know, you have to turn your child over to the receptionist because for whatever reason, the therapist, the, the technician is finishing up with somebody. I don't like this. I don't like this as a parent. I think you have a right to see the person who's working with your child, and I would advocate and say, you know, can can I be present at this greeting moment? I think it reduces stress for the kiddos. Um, I would be asking for it as a parent. I'm not turning myself my son over to a receptionist. Sorry, not doing it. Um, Rosemary says my daughter loves her RBT as well, and that's how it should be. My son, because we didn't have the benefit of center. Uh, we had to have them come to the door and the doorbell would ring or there'd be the knock at the door and my son he would go oh, and he would go peto 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 and he would run on tiptoe over to the door going peto 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 because he was excited that Peter was going to be there i'm telling you when you have that kind of a thing and peter would come in and we always used to say he totally reminded us, us of the genie and uh, as played by Robin Williams cuz he had that kind of energy and he had a big gold earring and um And he would come in, and he would just be loud and boisterous and play with my son, and my son couldn't wait for him to be there, right? And then as a parent, you go, oh, you know, this person gets my child, they like my child, and it's going to be more fun for my child. And some of that fear and concern goes, oh, I'm, you know, when you can say, oh, my child feels good about being in this educationally enriched environment, win, Right? Uh, Okay, so always, always, always a greeting. Okay, there should be regular preference assessments. So it's going to look different for different people. You know, with a baby, we might have three little stuffed animals, and we, you know, with the baby, we pick up the blue one, and we we put it to their nose, and we go boop, 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 boop right? And then we pick up the yellow one, boop, 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 boop. Um, and, and then we have a pink one, boop, 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 right? Um, to see which one the child grabs for, right? That's the preference assessment. For a four-year-old who's got some language, we would probably definitely be languaging this. Now, probably though, there are pictures on an iPad or a phone and go, okay, uh, you know, and, and the, the behavior technician might have two or three things to choose from and go, okay, you know, uh, so what are we going to work for today? And it might be stickers. We might be working on text or it could be pictures and say, do you, do you want to, do you want to do the marble run? Do you want to play on my iPad? Or do you want to, you know, play this, whatever, video game, whatever it is. Um, and, and then the child would, would pick either through pointing or by saying which one they want to do and then the, and then the behavior technician goes okay all right so in just a minute we're going to do the marble run great come on let's go do something and then we can play the marble run right now so now it's clear that the child asks for i want to i want to work for the marble run and the technician goes great 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 we're going to do the marble run and so first we're going to do this right and then they run over to some place and they're going to learn something for a quick minute now, depending on how long this child has been in ABA, it might be 10 seconds, right, that they run over it and that, let's say that there, there might be 20 things that this behavior technician is going to work on in the next two hours, right? Um, let's say that one of them is discriminating between colors, that this child is learning colors and where they are right now, they've already learned red, but now we're working on blue. So that technician is probably gonna do 10 trials of something, and people go, oh, this sounds exhausting. A, a good behavior technician that's doing 10 trials of something could be under a minute. Uh, this is what I was saying to the, the the teachers that you know it's so quick, that when you watch a good technician, you're like, it happened so quickly, I, I barely even saw it, but the child got it because they're engaged and they don't have time to be bored. But so if if they're teaching blue to the child, and it might be that we're at the point where, you know, as I said, we're already doing red. I've got things here that are, have blue on them, um, and you can't see. But, but so they might be at the point where they put three things out. It might be two things. They might be 2D. They might be um, just a picture but uh but they 'll go and im and the child might be standing, the child might be sitting at a table, right It depends on the individual, right, but the behavior technician might go, okay, so you know. Uh, okay, all right, you ready? We're going to do a quiz here. Quick, quick quiz. Okay, which one of these things is blue? Can you touch the one that's blue? And the child touches the blue thing and, and, the, and the behavior technician goes, great job, good job, you're doing so good. Okay, come on, let's do it again. And he switches them around and he goes, okay, touch the thing that's blue, right? And the child touches the thing and he goes, good Good job, right? But then he switches them around and he goes, okay, touch the thing that's blue and the child picks it on. He goes, okay, let's try again. Uh, right? Uh, no, that th- th- This one is, you know, not blue, so let's try again. Which one is blue, right? And and this is a bad example because she has blue on her shirt, right? So that would not be clear instruction. So just imagine for me, I need to get some stimuli on my desk to do this. But anyway, um, so th- it's not punitive. He wasn't like, no, man, you know blue. Come on. No, this has to be building self-esteem and, and getting to the point... And, and it might be that we've set up for this child that there are 10 trials because we're taking data on it and the, and the therapist is. They're, 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 you know, it's 10, so they train their mind. Sometimes they're making little hash marks as they go, but a lot of times they've trained their mind to be able to handle 10 things and know, okay, you know, yes, yes on the first one and no on the third one. We didn't get it on the third one. And that's going to be important down the road because if every time we do this with a child, they get it wrong on the third and fourth, then we know that on the first and the second time they didn't really get it right, they'd memorized it. And then we're gonna teach them in a different way, right? But so so they get through the 10 trials and hopefully we end on a, on a good one, right? They might go to 11 just to end on a good one and prompt them and help their hand and go, that's the blue one, good job. Look at this, it's time to go play with the marble run. And then we go and we play with the marble run for two minutes. And then, you know, and we say, okay, it's going to be two minutes. Sometimes we use a timer with kids or sometimes we say, okay, you get two balls that you get to run down the marble run. And so they do the marble run. Okay, last one, do it. And then we're going to go do something else, right? And then what does the the behavior technician do? They go, okay, so now we did the marble run. What do you want to work for now? Because they've already done the marble run. They may not want to do the marble run again. If you really want to keep them active and interested, then you know, you give them another preference assessment. Uh, and say, which one do you, oh, now you want to work for the video game. Okay, now we're gonna go work for the video game. And, and in this way, this is why these people should be paid more. Now just, <laughs> everybody, do the Iliana Van thing. Heal yourself. Uh, this is, because this is high energy. This is why sessions really shouldn't be more than two hours. Because for somebody to commit to the child and do that for two hours, it's exhausting. This is why parents cannot do this completely every day, day in, day out. This is why we need so many hours. Because if you have eight hours of this um, in a day, um, you're going to learn a a lot, right? Um, And you're going to have had a really good time. It's the equivalent of going to Disneyland, right? When our kids are exhausted at the end of the day of Disneyland, we don't go, well, that's just cruel. We don't. They had fun, and they learn things at Disneyland, too. Um, you know, we. If, so I think that if we can make it as fun as possible, there's no limit. Uh, obviously, children need to have sleep, but I'll tell you something. When you have good ABA session happening, kids are exhausted like they are at the end of Disneyland, right? Right. Um, but they're but they feel good. It's like when you do a really good workout and you've worked your way up to a really good workout, you feel good, you feel good tired, right? Okay, but preference assessments really really important. Tons of positive reinforcement. So in the example that I was giving with the marble run, for each time that we were doing the thing, we're giving positive reinforcement. Somebody talked about their kid likes tickles, so we say, you know, touch the one that's blue and he touches the one that's blue and we go yes and we give quick little tickles right but that's only for the child who really likes that there are some children who don't like to be touched right um so we find what's reinforcing to give them and we don't wait until they've gotten 10 right we have to give constant tons of feedback that's positive reinforcement and it's only reinforcement if we see more of the behavior happen this is another reason why we have to take the data because if, if the, the reinforcement that we gave was tickles, and we see that as we're teaching, it, they're not maintaining it, we might need to look and go, I don't think that the tickles are reinforcing enough. This is hard for them. Let's up the paycheck. What would be more exciting for them? And I know everybody gets upset when we start talking about food as a reinforcer. It's not my favorite thing either. I really hated it, and I almost never allowed them to do it with my son. But I did allow them to do it sometimes because it's a primary reinforcer and, and we wanted to build language and that was reinforcing to him. And part of how we got to build the language was he loved hot dogs and we would cut the hot dogs up into little pieces and so he would say dog and he would request dog and he wasn't talking about a puppy dog, he wanted a hot, a piece of a hot dog and so he would. And that's, and that was a place from which we could build language, we didn't stay, having a hot dog be the reinforcer, but when he asked for it, he could have a hot dog, yeah? Tons of positive reinforcement. If you are not hearing your child in a session being told, good job, you're doing so good, you're awesome, dude, fabulous, Uh, or, or girl, you know, whatever it is, if you are not hearing tons of praise, they're not doing it right, and praise not, may not be the thing that your child is, is being reinforced by right now. So there should be other reinforcement too, but there should always be praise because that helps to build praise as a reinforcer, right? So t- you should be hearing your child being built up. When I, whenever I hear self-advocates talking about how ABA tore them down and made them feel like they were less than, it makes me want to pull my hair out, not because I don't believe them, but because somebody wasn't doing it right. Your child should feel like they're a superhero by the end of the session. And and if your team is not doing that, I would sit them all down and say, excuse me, Shannon said, (laughs) this is not right, and find another ABA provider or tell them to get their crap together. Uh, Asad says, we tried ABA and our kid didn't make progress in one year. Majority of the RBTs we tried aren't experienced. Is there a way or resources where I can pl- uh, play the RBT role myself as a parent? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the people that's going to be taking over for the hour for us, uh, Justin Lee from the Autism Partnership Foundation. They, uh, there are several different places that are, offer RBT training online. They just happen to do it for free. So I would encourage you to go to Autism Partnership Foundation and um, take the classes so that you know how to do it. I I am gonna tell you though that it's always harder for a parent to be their child's RBT than somebody else. I still think you should do it and I really wanna encourage everybody to do it because you will be better with your child and you will also recognize a good RBT from a mile away and one that isn't and you can train people. But I, I always wanna caution um, parents that you come to your child with all this baggage. They know you and you know them and it will get in the way. So I would, uh, and, and you want your child to learn how to interact with people other than just you. So if you're gonna be the RBT, great, but make sure that you train other people as well so that it's not you, if you possibly can. Uh, if you can't, it's just gonna take you a little longer. Um, to get to the progress. But I'm very sorry that you had a whole year go by and did not see progress. Because when we get to the data, we're going to talk about why that should never have happened. Uh, Okay, so there should be fun at regular intervals. Well, what's the difference between that and the reinforcer? Well, the reinforcer is very specific. That we're constantly entering into a behavior contract with a person that we're teaching where it's like, I'm gonna, and, and, and in a second we're gonna talk about how clear instruction, and ABA says, I'm gonna give you a clear instruction, then you get an opportunity to do it, and then you're gonna get immediate feedback. And if you got it right, it's gonna be positive, and if you got it wrong, it's gonna be bland. It's not gonna be punitive, it's gonna be bland, right? So that is the regular, you know, I'm gonna ask you to do something, you're gonna do it, and then I'm gonna give you, if you, you know, and it is contingent on getting it right in some way, shape, or form that you get that positive reinforcer. But then let's remember that if you don't get it right, the response is bland. It's almost a nothing burger, right? So there's, you know, there's, it's not that it's punitive, it's just vanilla right? And vanilla is not horrible, right? But it is not Rocky Road. And this is what we're talking about. Now, so that's, imp- that's imperative. You have to have that to be doing good ABA, that there is a positive uh, reinforcer. But what's to say that I can't make the way I gave the instruction fun and that I can't make what I've asked you to do be fun too? Because I can. I can teach you math by writing on a board, Or I can teach you math by making a pizza and teach you fractions that way, right? So that's the difference for me. If we're going to make it fun, make even the instruction fun, make what we're doing fun, and then make the reinforcer fun. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, Because it should always be fun. If you have a choice to be a boring teacher or a fun teacher, why not be fun, yeah? Okay, but the data is important because... ABA says that basic tenet of ABA is that the student is never wrong. The student is never wrong, and, that, and the student can always learn. So if the student is not learning, we need to regularly interval look and go, what does the data say? Well, the data says the student wasn't learning, so let's change what we're doing. When I think back to when my son was, he was in kindergarten, and he was mainstreamed in kindergarten, which we had been told a year before could never happen you know, I've got middle fingers for that, right? Because um, <laughs> don't listen to that, right? Uh, we listen to the people who said, yeah, sure, that can happen, and my child's oh, in, in his college class right now, right? Um, but anyway, uh, in kindergarten, he by, by the 100th day of kindergarten, they had to learn how to count to 100, and my kid did not have it. And everybody had come in, everybody had tried all these different methods to teach him how to count to 100, and it was not sticking, it was not happening. But nobody was giving up, and nobody was like, well, I guess he can't learn it, or I guess he's not gonna know it by the hundredth day. But I was sweating it, right? And then Peter Farag, the pedo pedo pedo, was not gonna let it go. Oh, I love how his brain works. And, he, and so he kept watching as different people were working with my son to see, okay, what part of it is it, is it that's like, you know, because he can count to 10. So why can't he, and he can get up to 20 because he'd memorized up to 20, but why can't he understand that it's just sets of 10? And I saw the light bulb go off in Peter's head, and he was like, get me some paper, and he started ripping paper and writing numbers on it. And so he sat down with my son, and he said, okay, and he showed him, he said, okay, and he had one, two, three, four, up to 10 written down. So he was one, and, and he had my son count as he was seeing. And then, um, and then, then he put, so he put down 10, and then he, put, then he took the numbers, picked them up again, and said, okay, now it's 11, and he put down the 1 again and the 2, so he could see that it was just sets of 10, and that the next number is 20. And then it's 21 up to 10, which is 30. And I saw my son get it, right? But if Peter hadn't been taking data on where was it falling apart, he wouldn't have gotten there. You have to take data, And you have to say, it's not working. Let's try it another way. And so the people who had your child do ABA for a year and your child didn't make progress were not looking at the data, or they were lazy, or I don't know what. But every child can learn. Every child, every person can learn. So they weren't looking at the data. And that makes me mad on your half. Jessica says, my family-based therapist is telling my son doesn't need ABA but trauma therapy. We just left domestic violence eight months ago. Oh, Jessica, I'm so sorry. He is doing wonderful behaviorally because he isn't in that situation. And I'm assuming if you're here, I don't want to assume... that there is a diagnosis. What she goes on to say, we're all doing well, but I keep hearing ABA from you and other resources, and my soul is telling me to try this. He is uh, 11, diagnosed at five, and I'm just now hearing all this, I'm upset. Is it too late, Shannon? No, it's never too late, but in a minute, I'm gonna talk about how we would do ABA with a teenager, and an 11-year-old is somewhere in between, and you can kinda, you're can kind of, you gonna kinda be able to see uh, what we're talking about, but no, it's not too late. Do you know that they do ABA with Olympic athletes and they do ABA with uh, CEOs of companies, right? Because if what, what, let's say that I say to you, well, what I'd like to do is I would like to train for a marathon and I'm a 60-year-old overweight woman who doesn't run, right? This is my baseline. I don't run at all. Um, and and if I had a good coach, the good coach would come in and say to me, well, why Shannon, why is it that you want to run a marathon? I don't want to run a marathon, but let's say for a minute that I lost my mind and I did. They would say, why do you want to do that? Why is that important to you? Uh, what are the parts of it that are the most exciting to you? They would also ask me, what motivates you, Shannon? How, like, are you someone who's better in the morning? somebody better in the afternoon, right? They would figure me out first so that they could coach me to get to the point where I would need to be. And they would, all those things that I would t- that I told them, they would use to motivate me. Like if they said, what's the biggest reinforcer for you in the world? And I'm allergic to chocolate cake, but let's for a moment say that I, that I love chocolate cake, and I'm an overweight woman saying I wanna run a marathon, they would say, well, if chocolate cake is really reinforcing for you, then we're gonna find a way for you to get chocolate cake for doing things that are really hard. You're gonna not get a full cake, but maybe you're gonna get a cake bomb that's chocolate cake for doing something on the days when when you've worked really, really hard, right? They would set up a system of reinforcement for me to get me to the goal that I wanna go to. So you're never too late to work on ABA. It just gets more specific as individuals get older. And for an 11-year-old that, um, that they didn't weren't talking about ABA, I'm assuming that there is some language. Because so often people outside the autism community go, oh, there's language, you don't need ABA. They're just wrong. They're just wrong. Because, you know, would we say that to Michelle Kwan? Um, and her coach and say, Oh, you know, you can speak and you can skate, so therefore you don't need reinforcement. No, we wouldn't say that. But it gets different, and I think that there are so very I'm gonna be honest with you, Jessica, there are so very few people working with eleven year olds right now. It's like the hardest age because a lot of people are working with the younger kids up to like age eight. And then there are a few people working with teens and adults. But that 11-year-old thing is really, really hard to find somebody good who's working with them. <clears throat> so, and I wouldn't waste his time doing schlocky bad ABA because he's been through trauma. And I and I don't think you know, that that would be great. But if you were to, there are good ABA people out there, it would be a question of finding them. I would think, uh, yes, yeah, she says he was verbal at a very young age. Uh, more of gross and uh, fine motor delay. Um, And so if it's that, I mean, ABA would still be effective for that, but I think OT would be better uh, at 11. What I would be concerned about is where are his social deficits, and even though he can speak, what is his communication like? Can he talk to people about his feelings? Can he talk about, like, is he going to... Uh, well, a family-based therapist. Um, So is he talking about the trauma with that person? Is he sticking up for himself on the school uh, yard? Is what happens when other kids are bullying him? Does he know how to have boundaries with friends? Those are the things. And some of that ABA could help with, but some of that a therapist could help with. Um, I, I don't, like i know that aba would be useful to him if you had a good person but i i really am concerned about if you can find a good person and i wouldn't want him to be with a bad person um so i don't think you're necessarily missing the boat jessica but i would be on the lookout uh, for things that where he has deficits um and every 11 year old has deficits so um yeah well, okay, so um, you said he does struggle socially. So I would be looking at that. And depending on how much he s- struggles socially, if it's, if it's really quite intense, um, I-, I would highly recommend at 11, you should be able to find somebody who does the peers program. And it's a program where you are taking a, a class with a group of parents while he's taking a class with a group of 11-year-olds at the same time um and they get assignments that you your assignment they they clue you into what their assignment is and you have an assignment it's really good and a lot of people are doing it now uh dr liz Loggison at ucla created it but she trained a lot of people um and he receives ot at school but i'm looking for other outside of school because he's not it's not enough Have you ever, is there anybody who's doing equine therapy who's near you? Because equine therapy is really good for trauma, and it's really good for both fine motor and gross motor. Um, And it might be something, you know, unless he's terrified by horses. Um, But even, you know, if you can get him over that, equine therapy can be very good uh, because horses, the right horse, and those are the ones involved in equine therapy, are so patient, and it's like they can smell trauma. There is something about horses that is so, they communicate on a level that just cuts right through the whole thing. Um, I love you back, Jessica, I I wish you well, and please write to us, uh, you know, and let us know what else is going on. Okay, but data, 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 because data shows if we're making progress, and it shows what kind of learner, which is gonna be important in a second, right? Okay, uh, there should be clear targets that benefit the individual. Have you ever had the circumstance where somebody's trying to teach you something and you don't understand what it is and you just get frustrated? I watched my son once with a with a therapist who was learning not fast enough, and he was old enough that he could say to her, I don't know what it is you want me to do. Can you just tell me what it is you want me to do? And she went, oh, well, what I'm looking for is this. And he was like, you could have just told me, right? Um, I don't, uh, if your child, if it's not clear to you what your child is supposed to be doing in a moment, then it for sure is not clear to your child. Make sure that you're having your technicians be clear with their instructions. Remember the example I was giving about you know um, people directing traffic at Disneyland. Don't let anybody do that to your child, right? And people might say to you, "Well," but they're not always going to get clear instruction in the real world. Yeah, you know what, we'll take on the real world gradually, but right now we're trying to get a c- circumstance where they're getting the right answer. So b- make the instruction clear, right? We can work on the other later. Uh, it should all- for a four-year-old, uh, that's why it looks weird and it sounds weird when we say touch blue, right? But that's very freaking clear. Touch blue isn't, because if I, if, if language is hard for me and I say, okay, I want you to take your hand and put it on the table and put your fingers on the thing that's blue, that's a lot of words I got to know what they are. It may not be clear to me, but touch blue might be. And I'm going to help them sometimes by hand over hand going touch blue. Yes, that was the right answer right and then it becomes clear to me oh touch blue you want me to stick my hand on the blue thing right and that's another way that we build language so be they have to be clear and it has to be something that benefits them we're teaching blue because blue is something that we think that this child is going to benefit from knowing right and we need to make it fun because knowing what blue is maybe isn't all that fun right so maybe i have a blue car because the child loves cars right but it has to be of benefit to them. This is where we get into talking about so many different things that people are teaching that it's like, why are you teaching that? Because you want them to do that. Enough with that. Like this quiet hands thing. <sighs> what, what is the benefit of teaching somebody quiet hands? It's not a benefit to the individual. Because if they are flapping their hands, it's for a reason. So teaching quiet hands is BS. I'm sorry, that's the technical term for it, BS. Um, but if you say to me, well, they can't write while they're doing that, okay, but then the instruction should not be quiet hands. Let's make you know holding a pencil rein- really reinforcing, and we can't start with that, but we can start with a pincer grasp by picking up you know, uh, gluten-free Cheerios, which this child loves to eat, right? I'm building the hand muscles to the point, and then I can work on the tripod grasp by giving them really tiny crayons because they like the color red and they want to, you know, paint. I can work up to holding the pencil, and when I get to the pencil, I can get this thing that goes on top of it that's really reinforcing and lights up for them, Right? Um, and in that way they're going to want to hold the pen and I don't even have to teach quiet hands. So this is what I mean by it has to be a benefit for them, but we spend a lot of time teaching things that are not a benefit to them. There's a different way to go about this and I'm all about that. Okay. There should be clear instructions. I sort of mixed the two of these up, but it has to be clear, has to be clear, uh, what we're teaching and what we want them to do, right? Okay. Um... Moving on to the next one. The individual sensory sensitivities should be considered. Sometimes we don't know what the sensory sensitivities are, but we need to read the room on a regular basis. And people have lots of ways of communicating that aren't (laughs) necessarily vocal. Did you watch the SAG Awards last night? I don't know what happened, because I'd love to think that there's something else that happened, but Jason Bateman, won, they announced that he won the award, and he got up on stage, and he said, I really want to thank my wife, and they cut to her, and she had a look on her face that was so much communication. Look it up online. I was like, oh, somebody is mad at somebody, and it looked like she was mad at him, but it could have been that she was mad at somebody that like, shook his hand on the way up, but she was pissed. Right, that is clear communication, right? Um, now it could be that her zipper was poking her right i don 't know, and my whole point of this is that we don 't know what the sen- what the sensitive thing was there, but we have to use our eyeballs and go something not right and then, if we were working with jason bateman 's wife we would we would like look at the full thing and go okay what 's happening' and we would not put her through whatever she just went through that made that phase. You know what I'm saying? So we have to be mindful and pay attention to what, so if a child is is crying every time we go to teach one lesson, we need to look at that. Data's gonna show that, we need to look at that, and we need to eliminate things that are sensory overwhelming to them Uh, because we're not about flooding children, we're not. There's systematic desensitization, but flooding a child, which means like putting them into the thing that is disturbing them, should not be a part of any session that you're doing with a child. We can talk about that with adults, but children and teens, no. That's a hard no for me as a parent. Okay, and then behavior may be ignored, but never the individual. So there are times when your child is going to express that they are uncomfortable. And... At, at this point in our lives, we know when our child is like when they do that thing or when they're doing the or when they're, they're doing the full on, you know, right, or scared or terrified, like all of the different sounds that they make. I really want to encourage you, when my son was having therapy, I um, had a baby monitor in the other room and I listened and watched everything everything. And in the beginning, any time he would cry, I was I would be like, oh no, we have to stop that. Um, and the one deal that they had said to me was, we, you know, unless you were in, in fear for him, in, in imminent danger, that you will not stop the session. That was really hard for me because I didn't want him to be uncomfortable. I didn't want him to be frustrated. I didn't want him to feel like he couldn't do something. And they pointed out to me, well, he struggled with walking, too, and you didn't tell us to stop that. You let him cry and be frustrated about that. You let him fall down and hit his head. Where's the line? And it's hard. It's really, really hard. But I, I, I did learn the difference between the cries and would know that sometimes him being uncomfortable meant that he was about to learn. Now, was it hard? Yes. Later on, and I've told this story many times, um, there was a a video series that we did called The A Word that isn't up right now because we respectfully took it down. And because he's in his teen years now, and we want him to decide not my son, this was another boy uh, we want him to decide whether he's comfortable with it being up, right? Because we want to be respectful um but in the beginning when this little boy was little and my son was watching a video i was watching a video and i was crying and my son came up and said what are you crying about i said here's this little boy and he's frustrated and he's crying and his mother's through the door and she wants to go in and stop it and he goes why why are you crying about that and i said because i remember when that would happen with you and he said oh and ultimately what he said was mom he's crying because he's frustrated." We all get frustrated. Nobody ever dies from frustration. He said, you know what frustration is? Frustration is a signal. He was 10 or 11 when he said this to me. He said, frustration is a signal that something is about to change because it has to. Right? Um, And I say that to you because I needed to hear that as a parent because there were times when I allowed my son to be frustrated and I was like, oh, I hope he's not going to be mad at me later on for this right because we have all these people telling us how hard aba was for them i don't think it's the worst thing in the world for a child to get frustrated i don't as long as they're allowed to work through it if we just leave them in the place of frustration not good i know i gotta hurry up here because we haven't even gone through the other thing Okay, in other words, it has to be fair. So for this four-year-old, it's got to be fair. Now, let's really quickly go back, and I want to go through the whole thing again as a teenager, but I'm going to do this in five minutes' time because we're way past our time. This is why we need 44 hours because we can't, we can't ever. So, Traven, can we go all the way back to the beginning? And and we're going to... So if, a, if it's a teenager, it's going to look vastly different. So um, teenager, the greeting is, is going to be much more of a peer-to-peer kind of a thing that... or you know, it's going to be a peer mentor kind of thing. So a lot of the times uh, what I love is when they have somebody who's kind of hip and cool and a little bit younger who um, has that, you know, that, that vibe. Uh, I don't even know what you'd call that vibe, but, you know, like they can talk to teenagers kind of thing. And then there's another greeting, but it looks vastly different. They would never get down to the person's level. Level. There's some sort of a hand thing that happens, like, dude, you know, how's it going? What's up? You know, whatever is appropriate for this teenager, but it would be on the level of if a teenager greeted this teenager, right? It's not the same as a teacher or a therapist, right? It's more peer-to-peer. This interaction, this pleasant greeting, but still has the same elements that this person is saying to your teenager: "You're cool. I like hanging out with you. Uh, I, you know, they, they still can be like, dude. You know, that's that's a really cool jacket you've got on. Like, where'd you get that? But it, it's appropriate for that person's skill level and their age." They're not going to squat down and talk to them anymore because that's not how you would talk to a teenager. But again, a peer, a peer level interaction, and not that of a teacher, uh, unless it was like a super, super cool teacher, right? But still, this bubble of a moment of okay, now we're entering into this interaction where you and I are going to like have some fun here, and they should be saying, are you, you know, you ready to go hang out? You ready to you know have some cool things? Yeah, right. Um, but then we're still going to do the preference assessment. So uh, you know, instead, you know, the person might be going, "Dude, so you know, how's your day? Like, what's what's going on? What what you feel, what do you feel like doing today? You, you want to hang out? You want to uh, what? You got any new games you want to play? What's uh, you know what's going on, right? And so the the teenager might say, "Oh yeah, you know, I got this new uh, video game. Cool. You want to play that in a few minutes? Let's get a little done, and then we'll play that, right?" Same interaction, but totally different context and totally different socially appropriate way of doing it, right? Um, so hey, and, and for a teenager, depending on their, their level of communication, it might be that the, the therapist has a clipboard and goes, OK, so here's the things that I wrote down today that I'd like to work on. Is there anything you'd like to work on today, right? Uh, that, you know, we're going to do a little bit of work on this, we're going to do a little bit of work on this, you know, th- we're going to, you know, check in on this or, you know, talk about this or whatever. And the teenager would be able to say, I don't want to work on that one, I want to work, but you know what I would like to work on is this. Now, not all teenagers are going to be at the point where they're going to be able to advocate, but that could be on the list, like figuring out, you know, what, so that somewhere a couple of weeks down the road that they could, that they could say, hey, I'm having trouble with this, And they could say, you know, we're going to call this the check-in. That we're going to check in about like, is there any place where you're having trouble that you'd like some more support with? So that eventually they could add it to the list, right? But but so we're working on preference assessments about what we want to be spending our time in, but also what the reward will be. And for a lot of teenagers, it could be video games, or you know, it could be something that's you know, electronic related. That's okay. What isn't okay is if what I I see people doing a lot of times is saying, okay, well, this therapist only plays games with my child. They come in, whether it's somebody who said, you know, my child is having movie nights every week at the, the center, and I'm like, well, what are they working on during the movie? A good therapist can play a game with somebody and be working on all the things on their list at the same time. But if it's not clear to you what it is they're working on, then ask, uh, and ask, I want to see wh- how you're working on this. Like it might be, I've seen good therapists that are like working on something and then the therapist hits the, uh, the button that dumps the whole game and the kid goes, what did you do? Know? Right? And, and what we're working on is, because sometimes friends will do that. And so we're working on patience. We're working on communication. We're working on winning and losing and how to handle that, ser- that social interaction when it doesn't go your way. Which is really important, right? Um, so it might be that, they're a, that a really good therapist can do that. Other therapists are gonna work on the thing and then go have that just be the reinforcer. And both of those things are okay as long as we're working on things that are great. Tons of reinforcement still for a teenager, it's just gonna look different. For a teenager, the reinforcer might be, you know, we're gonna work on this and then we're gonna walk down to the 7 Eleven. And you know, take the skateboard out, right? It's going to look different than it, than it's going to look for the four year old, uh, but it should still be fun every stretch along the way. It's just fun is different for a teenager. Um, uh, you know, I, sometimes I think it's anti fun with the teenagers. It's like you know, just hanging out um, and not having demands is what teenagers apparently like to do. I'm not a teenager anymore, uh, but so just like having a moment where nothing else is happening can be a reinforcer. We can't have that be the whole thing, though, right? But we can make other things fun for them as well. Uh, We still have to take data. It maybe isn't as visible, but there still has to be data. Uh, Clear targets. And so I think especially when our kids are older, um, showing them and asking them, okay, what's important to you? Oh, so you want to be able to um, ask a girl out. You know, then that's something that's important to you. Or you want to not feel uncool talking to your peers, right? Whatever the whatever the thing is that they want to do, then those are the things that we want to be working on, because it's what's important to them. And just working on social skills is great, right? But if it if they can't see how it benefits them, they're not going to want to do it. That's just the long and the short of it, right? Uh, has to still be clear instruction. We can't be vague uh, uh, still with a teenager. Uh, we have to be absolutely crystal clear and we have to take into consideration their learning styles because kids who shut down, right, if they get something wrong the first time and they shut down, well then we want to be mindful of that and constantly be giving them things that are attainable to build them up before, that's called behavioral momentum, before we give them the thing that's going to be a little hard that they might might not succeed at and we're going to like... You know tell them here's the goal so that they understand this is the thing that we're gonna be doing and here's the reinforcer for trying right uh, for that kid who's like I didn't get it right I didn't get it perfect you know we want to know that beforehand so that we're not constantly beating them down uh, still concerned about their sensitive uh, sensor, se- sensory sensitivities I can't talk anymore um, but hopefully by the time that they're teenagers, they're more aware of what their sensitivities are as is the person working with them. We're still going to be uncovering some things, right, but we're, we're going to be building plans of how do we deal with it when it goes off the rails, that you don't like the loud screeching noise when the microphone makes that noise. How, what, what are our strategies that we're going to work on so that if that happens, we're going to be able to handle it? Really important stuff. Uh, and again, behavior can be ignored, but never the individual. And uh, and when a person who has language um, and has the, I, I really, if we have a, a teenager who does not yet have functional communication, everything stops until you have that, right? They have to have the ability to say no, right? They also have to have the ability to say yes. But if, if somebody doesn't have the ability to say no or yes, it's unkind to work on anything else. I, right? I mean, to me, that's a duh, but I'm just checking with everybody else. Um, you have to be able to communicate, I, I, I want this, I don't want that. Because if you don't, you're going to have challenging behavior. So functional communication has to come first. But if we have an individual who has functional communication, who is still having tantrums and meltdowns it's because they have a need there is something that they need that they do not yet know how to communicate to you and that has to come top row that them being able to communicate what's happening and sometimes there are other components of things going on that make it so that even they don't know i am somebody who has uh, a wheat intolerance allergy whatever you want to call it, and if I have wheat by accident, I am in a state where I i don't even know what's wrong, but I am unhappy, upset, mad, yelling, uh, my temperature is up, my blood pressure is up, I feel hot and itchy, and I am uncomfortable, and there is no consoling me. That is how I feel on wheat, and in the moment, I I think just in the last 10 years, because I've been off of wheat enough that I can now go, at some point I go, what is happening? Oh my gosh, I think I might have had uh, a contamination. And then I know to go take some Benadryl. I'm 60. Maybe in the last 10 years I've gotten to that point. So sometimes we have teenagers who are having a reaction to something and they can't even tell you, right? Um, So we need to not be poo-pooing. If somebody is engaging in challenging behavior, we need to be good detectives. This does not mean ignore them, right? Uh, There's no ignoring, but we need to get to the bottom of it and figure out what it is that they want. Now, if they're engaging in that behavior just for attention, then eventually we would set up a behavior intervention plan where we would ignore that behavior, but not in a vacuum. We would never be like, well, I'm ignoring that behavior and then hopefully this works out. That's not how a behavior intervention plan works when it's attention maintained. In fact, the antecedent modification that we would make to try to head it off at the pass is by giving them tons of attention for everything else that they do. People just forget that part. And it's critical. If somebody is acting out for attention, give them attention for everything else they do except that thing that they were acting out. And then maybe you won't have the need to act out for that. But if they do, then in those extreme circumstances, you absolutely would not pay attention to that behavior because we don't want to feed it, right? But you still don't ignore the individual. You cannot ignore people. Um, and you would wait until they communicate, you know, stay there. You don't leave the room. You would stay there. And, and you know, you, you might even say, I, I want to talk to you when you are calm. You don't say a whole lot more than that, right? Um, but then the second that they are calm, you you reestablish attention and heap attention on. And, and they're like, what I, what I need is a break. Fabulous, wonderful, I'm going to give you a break. And, you, and the attention is right there and you give them all the attention in the world. So do not ignore people. In extreme circumstances, we ignore behavior. But only in that moment and only if it is solely for attention. If, if there are teenagers that are having these behaviors, it is because there's something that they need to communicate, and they may not even know what, and we have to figure out what it is because it's all about it has to be fair. We've all been teenagers. It's rough. You are dealing with hormones. You are dealing with society, and if that has to be through a Vaseline of I don't really understand, none of us understand what's being said half the time now, right? But if you have an extra diagnosed Uh, really, you know, condition that makes it extra hard for you to learn, imagine how hard that is. It's the hardest thing under the sun. We need to be compassionate towards these people, um, and ABA can really help. Uh, But as I said to Jessica, it's not the only thing. If you have teenagers, you know, if you said to me that, you know, this is an 11-year-old and they're having trauma, um you know, I might recommend that you take them to an inclusive acting class, that they have an opportunity to work through some of their feelings in a safe environment, right? That's super duper fun, right? Uh, I, by the way, I um, recommend that for most teens. A good acting class goes a long way uh there's also if you have somebody that's a teenager i wouldn't do this with anybody who doesn't have really good language skills and i probably wouldn't go younger than 12 but i think it depends on the cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety with the right person amazing um okay uh what do we have here uh jessica says good news uh, I texted the family-based therapist she's going to help me find a- a equine therapy fabulous she said she's worked with writing with a handicapped and loved it and so did the kids yeah equine therapy can be amazing for trauma absolutely amazing for trauma so but I wouldn't I, I would also for the social piece I would I would look at that uh, peers program but I would also look at a good acting class uh, with the right people and I would do that uh, with, like a, a mainstream, so that it's not all individuals who are on the spectrum, but you know, a little bit, a mix of everything, uh, I would, I would, I would. All right, you guys, we've gone way over, uh, but that's okay, because I really enjoyed talking about this, because a good ABA session is fast-paced, it's fun, it's reinforcing, it works on things that are good for the individual, and it is absolutely an educationally enriched environment from end to end. But if you're having somebody who, you know, I know sometimes on the schedule they will they will put somebody for three hours. I'm not a fan of that. But if that's what you need to do, for me, three hours is the max. I think people get tired, and your kid will get tired of this individual at about three hours and top out. If you're having four-hour sessions, I would look at that. I don't think that's good for anybody. Your therapist is going to need a break. I don't think that's right. Um, so, but you can have a two-hour session with a therapist, and then have your child have a 15-minute break and come in, like you know, to have a snack or whatever, and then have another therapist come in and do another two hours because they're going to come at it in an entirely different way. They're going to bring out the paintbrushes and they're going to do the greeting different, and they're going to do the the. There's so many ways to do a preference assessment, and they're going to do the reinforcement and the fun different, right? Um, and in that way, we keep it, you know, changed up. Um, but encourage people not to be doing these four-hour sessions. That's not good for anybody. Three hours, maybe two hours, even better, because uh, they get in, they get out, and it's fun, 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 and then they get to go work with another kid. They get a short break, and they get to go work in, with another kid because each kid is different, yeah? All right, I love you all so much. Guess who we're back with tomorrow? She's back from Saudi Arabia, and so Dr. Doreen grampiche will be with us tomorrow morning, morning answering your questions. Trayvon, do we know what the topic is tomorrow? I do not remember, and I didn't look it up. He's going to look that up for me really quickly. Um, But we have her tomorrow. Then on Wednesday, get this. For those of you who have been writing in about feeding issues, I've got a feeding expert who's going to be with us on Wednesday. That's going to be fabulous. On Thursday, stop. Uh, Thursday, we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy's going to be here. We've got some amazing news stories for you. I always have those in the hopper. And then a total of three guests that are going to be with us. Uh, an amazing mom with her own radio show is going to be with us. And then we have one of the stars of the new Woody Harrelson movie that's coming out. Of course, I cannot, it's, I think it's called Champions. Um, I'm not sure, but, uh, the new Woody Harrelson movie, uh, he stars as a basketball coach and he, uh, I don't, I don't know what the circumstances are, but he's not able to coach professional basketball anymore. He's got to take a team that is a special needs basketball team and he's got to coach them. And so we have one of the young actors who's on the team who is going to be with us. Uh, and his mom is going to be with us too. That's for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I can't wait to see this movie. I've seen the trailer for it and I love me some Woody Harrelson. So. And we know a couple of the people uh, who play uh, characters on the team. I love seeing actors uh, on the spectrum and with other special needs hired as uh, actors. Oh, tomorrow we're talking about anxiety with Dr. Grambuchet. There you go. Uh, uh, I'm not going to mangle your name, but they said, hey, Shannon, kudos to all you've been doing. Hugs. My five-year-old nonverbal son attends ABA every day for four hours. And speak, speech occupational therapies two times a week with ABA. He doesn't attend school yet. Um, so, you know, that's an amazing setup. But um, he's five and he's nonverbal. My question is, um, well, you said he's nonverbal. So um, my, my question is, why is he only getting four hours of ABA a day? And if you can write that in right now, um, is it because they don't have more therapists or is it because you don't have more funding? Because at five, if he's nonverbal, I would want him to have more than four hours a day. If he's having, so, and is it four hours a day, five days a week? Because that's only 20 hours. That's half of what I would like for him to have. So if he's having four hours, five days a week, then, you know, and then you're doing eight on Saturday and Sunday, Uh, We're still not at the 40 hours that I want. So why only four hours? And I love that he's getting speech and occupational therapies two times a week with the ABA. um, But, um, okay. So his authorization was for 35 hours. So let's talk for just a second about why that is. Why would the insurance company have given you an authorization for 35 hours? And I'm going to tell you why, because that's what science has shown to be effective with a child your age and insurance knows if they don't give you an authorization for that, you can come back and sue them later on. Now, here's the thing. You could, you could push for 40, and you probably would get away with it if you pushed for 40, and they probably will write you the authorization for 40 maybe right now, um, but I can guarantee you that in another year when he turns six, that it's not going to happen. They won't do it. Um, and they're going to argue that there's not enough studies to show that it's effective at six, so you're in a moment at five. you still can push for it at six, but it's a harder slog to do so uh, and and you're telling me that he was getting tired. Um, I would tell you if if he if if he didn't have ABA, I want to know like what is he doing the rest of the day and is he getting tired with that because um, if he is getting tired um, from, from doing ABA and we try to, now always with any kid we want to ramp up, right? Gee, like, oh my goodness, all kids, I used to teach school and kids come back from the summer and the first week everybody's exhausted. The teachers are exhausted because we're like, we're not used to this, right? Everybody needs to ramp up, um, but you need to ramp up. Um, and, and, he, and he is gonna get tired, but then he's gonna sleep better at night. And if he's not sleeping better at night, then we gotta look at what's happening with his diet and his sleep schedule, and does he have sleep apnea and all these other things. But don't not push for those hours. I would say to you, if you can, because he's nonverbal, if you can push for and get staffed, here's the rub. If you can get staffed at 35 hours, I would push for 40 right now it's now or never. I don't think, I don't think you're going to get it if you don't take it now. What the insurance company is going to say is, we offered you 35 hours, you didn't use it. Why do you want it now? Now it's not shown to be as effective, which isn't exactly true. It's not that it hasn't been shown to be effective. It's that there are no studies that have been done on it later, right? Tons of studies show how effective it is, it is from ages three to five, but nothing after that. So they start winnowing the hours down after that. So um, so that's what I would do. I would take this year, because I'm, I'm guessing that you're here in the United States, and in the United States, you can delay your child going to kindergarten until they're six without any fuss. You just say, nope, we're waiting. Right At six, got to have a medical reason why. And you could make that argument, but right now you don't have to. He's five. So I would get that as close to 40 hours as you can. I would fit the speech and the OT around that, and I would push, push, push. I would reward him uh, for doing more hours. I would ask for the team to make it as fun as possible for him. I would, if he's not sleeping well at night, I would take him to the pediatrician and say, we need help with sleep. Um, I would work at your, I would look at your sleep schedule and make sure that he's got clean sleep habits That he goes to bed at the same time, he gets up at the same time. But you know, I had a friend who always said that, you know, the key to raising good, happy children is (laughs) the phrase that she would use, not my phrase, but I borrow it. She would say, run them like dogs. If you, you know, if you took kids outside and took them to a festival and had them run all day, they'll be exhausted at the end of the day. Don't be afraid of that. Exhausted, good exhausted, good. You know what I'm saying? Let him get tired. Let him be so tired that he falls into bed and sleeps like a rock all night long. But fill his hours with stuff that's fun and exciting. Through that, yeah. Trayvon is showing you he's <laughs> he's getting the hook. Uh, I hope that helps you um, because I, you know you asked, and so that's that's my advice for that. But then I would do I would do school at six, but take this time and and ramp that thing up get as many hours as you can okay he's showing you all the ways that you can be watching the show don't forget that we got that podcast-a-thon coming up it starts on april 4th at 3 p.m pacific time for 44 hours long time that we've got all these fun fun exciting people but until then we'll be back tomorrow with dr grampy shay talking about anxiety Ooh, yes Uh, Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too because you're doing a really good job. I said so, all right? Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time.